Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. To you who are ready for the truth, I say this, love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use that occasion to practice the servant life. No more payback, live generously. Here is a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run of the mill sinners do that. And if you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden variety sinners do that. And if you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You will never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind, you be kind. Well, good morning. Can we give it up for our worship team this morning? They did a phenomenal job. So many young people up on the stage. I guess I'm going to change that demographic a little bit right now. I'm going to bring the averages up. But now it's so good to see uh, so many uh, young people who are just uh, in love with God, and it's awesome. Um, I'm thankful for that, aren't you? That's so good. And also, I want to say uh, good morning to our Pendleton campus. So can we give it up for them this morning? Uh, you guys over in Pendleton. And one other thing, uh, Pastor Kevin and Katie are out of town celebrating their 10th anniversary. So I thought what we could do, because uh, I'm sure they're going to be watching this. I don't know if they're watching it now, but they will be. So on the count of three, can we say happy anniversary, Kevin and Katie? All right. One, two, three. Happy anniversary, Kevin and Katie. We love you guys. They do a great job. Don't we? We're blessed. We're blessed to have Kevin's leadership. Hey, let me ask you a question. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you in a court of law? Unfortunately, I think many people would have to say no, at least according to some statistics I've seen, which is really sad. I, I saw some statistics, recent uh, Gallup survey, uh, I believe it was a Gallup survey. Anyways, they, they said that only 9%, 9% of people who identified as Christians actually held a biblical worldview. Only 9% saw the world through the lens of the Bible. These are Christians. Other statistics that are even probably more sad 
is that uh, when they've done these kind of surveys in the past, that the behaviors between people who claim to be Christians and people who say, I'm not a Christian, are basically the same. There are really negligible differences in the way that we live our lives. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're, we're called to live differently. We, we belong to the kingdom of God. And Jesus talked a lot about this kingdom being so different. And he calls us to live a countercultural life, a life that doesn't go with the flow. Because that's the way that Jesus lived his life. That's what he taught. That's what he did. Think about Jesus. I mean, he was a rebel with a cause. Everything that he did kind of went against the grain of the cultural norms of his day or the religious traditions. Everything that Jesus did was kind of upside down in the world's eyes. It was, it was just different. It was countercultural. Think of the way that he chose his disciples. I mean, if you were given the task of saying, I need to choose 12 people who are going to change the world after I'm gone, none of us would have chose the 12 that he took, right? Those guys were a bunch of losers with no experience. They were fishermen and tax collectors and everything else. If it would have been probably you or me, we would have done it differently. We would have done what everybody else would have done. We'd have found the people with the seminary degrees and the people who were very educated or religious leaders who would have said, these guys would be the ones we would choose, but not Jesus. He didn't do it that way. In fact, I saw something that was kind of funny. It was, um, it, it was kind of a little excerpt from a book called Eating Problems for Breakfast by Tim Handel. And he, and he talked about what would happen if Jesus would have done it in a more conventional way, the way he chose his disciples. Let's say he'd have found those guys and he would have ha hired in a management co company to try to work through that process. And get, he, he, if he were to give them their resumes and said, hey, you do your work and let me know what you think. And, and here's what it, it says. It says their conclusion was, is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do, not, they do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial, uh, managerial ability and proven capability. I think we would all agree with that. But then he, they go on to talk about the individual, some of the different characters that Jesus chose. It's Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. And he goes on to say this. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. I don't know, but they wouldn't have got it right either. But Jesus did. In spite of all of that and being the, you know, choosing the least likely type of people, he, he did something very counterintuitive, countercultural. And the way that he taught was that way too. Jesus would speak in these paradoxes that would just kind of make you go, huh? Like, what did he just say? Let me give you some examples. I think they're going to be on the screens. Things like this. At least I think they're going to be on the screens. He would say, you need to, well, I'll give it to you anyways. If they're not going to be on the screens or not, we're going to give them to you. He would say things like this. You need to give up everything to gain everything. The last would be first. In order to truly live, we must die to ourselves. 
He said it's better to give than to receive. He said the least would be the greatest. He'd make these statements, and he would often preface them with a, with a different statement. He would often say things like this. He would say, you have heard it said, and then he would, he would quote an Old Testament passage of Scripture. You, would heard, you have heard it said blank, and then he would say, but I say to you this. Here's an example. On the Sermon on the Mount, he would say things like this. You have heard it said that you should not commit adultery, pointing to, of course, Old Testament verse. But then he would kind of raise the bar. He said, but I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. He'd always raise the bar making these statements. And when you look at things like the Sermon on his Mount, on the Mount, his most famous sermon, or the sermon we're going to look at today, which some people, it's, it's debatable whether it's, it's actually the same sermon or it's excerpts from that sermon, but it's often referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. Not an airplane. Jesus was not on an airplane delivering his sermon. It's like on the plains, like in a place where there's planes. Like, all right, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so, so looking at this, and I'm going to read it from Luke chapter 6. You just heard it read, but I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, a, a part of it. And when I read this, I just got to tell you, again, this is so countercultural. Everything inside of me when I read this is goes, no, that's, that's not possible. Beginning in verse 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for for those who hurt you, if someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you, the golden rule. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and, and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Those verses are so simple. When you read them, it's like, oh, that's simple. But then if you try to live them out, you go, that's, a, that's impossible. How do we do this? Because that's what he's calling us to do. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's what he's calling us to do. To live that kind of way. And I, I think the question is, okay, if, if that's what he's calling us to do, then how do we do this? If that's the expect, expectation that God has for us as his followers to not live just like everybody else, to do like everybody else, to respond like everybody else, how do we do it? How do we pull this off? Well, I'm going to give you just two points today as we look at this, kind of a little, we'll drill down a little closer on this, on this passage. And the question is, how can I live this countercultural life? And the first point is this, by the Holy Spirit's power, love and live differently. By the Holy Spirit's power, that's the key, okay? That's the key to everything. By the Holy Spirit's power, love and live differently. You have a choice. I have a choice. 
If, if we're followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And I have a choice, just like you do every single day, in every single moment of every day, of who's going to be in control. Will it be me or will it be God living in me through the Holy Spirit? Who's going to, who's going to sit on the throne? Who's going to make the choices? And, and it's a struggle, right? It's, 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 it's a struggle for all of us. I think most of us would say, well, I want Jesus on the throne. I want him making the choices. I want the Holy Spirit leading my life. But unfortunately, that doesn't often always happen the way we want. And we have to relinquish control of the Holy Spirit if we're going to pull this off. If we're going to live the kind of life, this countercultural life, it's got to be by the Holy Spirit that we love and live differently. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little, uh, a little, little, we've done this before, but I, I just want to show you something again. Here's what I want to do. This is an all skate. Pendleton, join me here, everybody here. I want everybody to just kind of lift up your right foot, and I want you to turn it clockwise, just like that. Clockwise. Everybody doing it? Come on. And then with your right hand, I want you to write the number six. Right. It doesn't work, does it? Like everything's like, Ugh. if you're like me, it's like I'm totally spastic at this moment. I don't know what's going on. Because what happens is either my hand will start doing the clockwise thing like my foot or my foot will start doing a six or it just doesn't work. And that's exactly what I'm saying that either in this case, either my foot will be in control or my hand will be in control but my brain can't do both of those things at once. And with your life, if you're going to live a countercultural life, it's either going to be you or it's going to be the Holy Spirit. But if it choose you, you can't pull this off. It is impossible in your strength to do what Jesus has just told us to do, to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us, to, to, to do nice things to people who hurt us and to, to, to pray for those who, who do us wrong. It just doesn't work. I don't care who you are, or how nice you are. You could have the disposition of Mother Teresa on her best day, and you can't pull this off. This is a Holy Spirit thing. Like, this is the Holy Spirit. So when, and I'm going to read it again, but listen to this a little closer, and then we're going to break it down even more, just so you really understand what he's telling us to do. But to those who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. When things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Um, yeah, the Holy Spirit's got to help me here. Because when I read that in my flesh, in my natural person, my not, you know, not with the Holy Spirit living in me, but just my flesh. When I read that or with anybody reads that who is not relying on the Holy Spirit, there are two responses I think all of us would have about loving our enemies and all of that kind of stuff. The first would be no way. It's impossible. That's impossible. That's pie in the sky. That's Jesus talk. Like that doesn't work. That's not the real world we live in. I mean, maybe it worked 2,000 years ago, but it doesn't work today because people are, are just nasty these days, right? Like, it doesn't work. So that's one response. The other response is, man, I wish that wasn't in the Bible. You ever feel that way about something? You read something like, I, I wish that wasn't there. I mean, I, 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 lo I love the uh, New Testament. I do. Because in the New Testament, we're introduced to God's grace through Jesus Christ. We're introduced to this you know, this whole idea that we're not living under the law, we live under grace and all. It's, it's beautiful. But there are times, I got to tell you, where I kind of like the Old Testament. You know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the other response. 
Jesus raises the bar and he's like, no, you got to do it differently. This is a countercultural thing. So, so here's what I want to do. I want to break that down. At least four parts of this thing. He says, love your enemies. Let's just start with that one. He said, I say, love your enemies. Now, let me tell you in the actual, how that's broken down through, like this is the commentary side of this thing. The word love there, that verb, in, in the Greek language, there are multiple uses of the word love. In English language, we only have one, but they had different forms of love. But this one here, when Jesus says, love your enemies, is the word agape. And agape love is the highest form of love there is. Agape love says, I love you no matter what. It doesn't matter if you love me back. It doesn't matter if, if, if you're lovable. It, it's not based on any merit. It's the kind of love that God has for you and me. It's, it's that kind of love, agape love. It's the same form of the verb love that is in John 3.16, by the way. For God so loved the world. He agaped the world, all of us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is the same word. And, and God says, here's what you need to do. You got enemies out there. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to give them the same kind of love that I give you. I want you to give them that agape love. It's not based on whether they love you back or whether they're mean and nasty. You love them. And I got to tell you, that's Holy Spirit because it is, that is not human. There, that is not even, that isn't even possible on a human level. Then he says, the second thing he says, he says, do good to those who hate you. Now, I think do good is pretty, we, we understand what that means, but here's what it literally means, to treat them excellently and honorably. He says, bless those who curse you. Bless means to speak well of people who are cursing you. He says, pray for those who hurt you. Pray there means to ask God to make them happy and to cause them to prosper. Have you done that lately for someone who's hurt you? That you actually prayed that they would be happy and prosperous? That's not how I pray for people who do me wrong. I remember I had a guy that stole my lawnmower, okay? This was years ago. I had a riding lawnmower. I parked it in my crawl space. I went out to cut the grass on my new mower. And it's not there. So I called the police and I said, someone stole my brand new lawn, riding lawnmower. They said, we'll work on it. I thought I'd never hear back. A couple of days later, they called back and said, we, we found a guy that stole your, stole your lawnmower. I'm like, awesome. When do I get my lawnmower back? They said, you don't. He took it and sold it for drug money. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like he, he stole my lawnmower and then he got rid of it. I, I said, what do I do now? You know, what am I going to do? They said, well, he'll pay you restitution. He's a, he's a career criminal. He's been in jail, in and out of jail for many, many years. And he's, um, so they got him. You're going to make restitution. I literally, I got one restitution check. I think it was a dollar and 43 cents. And I'm not kidding. And I never saw that. And so, um, and you know what made it worse? Listen, this guy had the nerve to get in my crawl space and, and drive my lawnmower out. And then he, Apparently, when the police caught him, he went and showed him all the places he had broken into that day. Mine was, listen, he used my lawnmower apparently as the getaway vehicle. Like, <laughs> he's driving it out of my subdivision, stopping at everybody else's house. He's probably got TVs and everything, driving my lawnmower to wherever he drives. I'm like, that's like rubbing salt in a wound, right? 
And so I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? They said, well, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Well, that's, I got my dollar 43 and that was it. But when I prayed for that guy, it wasn't, Lord, make him prosperous and bless him. It was, I was like well, that Old Testament prayer of like King David would pray for his enemies. Lord, smite him, right? Whatever that means, just smite him. Like let the lawnmower blow it up in his face the next time he does that to somebody. Okay, right? But that's not how Jesus, I don't even get that option as a believer. Like that option's not on the table. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to remove that option. Jesus said, no, that's not how you do it. You love your enemies. You do good to those people. When they curse you, you bless them. You ask God to make them prosperous and happy. I mean, the right, the right way to pray really should have been that I'm praying that, Lord, for whatever reason, that guy's, you know, had a, probably a rough, rough life. He's been in and out of jail. He's got drug problems. He probably has, you know, come from dysfunctional family. He's probably had all kinds of bad situations in life. He didn't get the breaks that I got. And, you know, oh, that's how I should be looking at it. But that's, you know, that doesn't come naturally. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you those insights. And this is the whole point is that it's going to take the Holy Spirit's strength and power. It says in Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 34, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. If you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to others sinners for full return. Basically, what he's saying is you got to be different. Like non-believers do that stuff. It's easy to do that. But it takes the Holy Spirit's power, trusting in me and living your life. From my perspective, that's how it works. This, this kingdom that Jesus talked about is, is not of this world. We live a different life. This is that's what we're called to do. But we know that Life gets messy sometimes, and not everybody's easy to love. There's, there, sooner or later, someone's going to do you wrong, betray you, manipulate you, hurt you. Sooner or later, it's going to happen, probably more often than we like. We all have those people in our life that they're tough to love. It might be it's a relative that knows how to push just the right button in your life. Maybe it's a classmate who talks behind your back. Maybe it's that ex-spouse that makes your life miserable. Maybe it's a boss who never appreciates anything you do. Like our normal reaction, we know what we do normally on those kind of situations, but that's not what we're called to do. Jesus raises the bar. Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and raises the bar. This is, this is hard. Anybody says it's easy to be a Christian, they've never read stuff like this. Because this is real. This is where it gets hard. This is, this, is what, this is what makes Christianity different, is that we're to live differently. Now, there's one other thing that I do want to point out. Jesus talked about when someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek also. Let me just clarify what he's talking about there, because I don't want anybody to... This verse has been taken way out of context. Um, 
Contrary to popular belief, Jesus was not a pacifist. He, 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 was, he was not telling you that, it, that you shouldn't defend yourself. He was, he was prohibiting the use of retaliation, not self-defense. There's a difference. Like it's not our job to get even with people who hurt us. That judgment is God's and not ours. That's what the point is. The, the slap on the cheek, by the way, was not, it wasn't really an attack, on, a physical attack, so much it was an attack on honor back in those days. You've seen those movies where someone went up like, and took their glove off and like this. It really didn't hurt the person, but it was like, like that's the worst dishonoring thing you could do to somebody. That's what that was. So let me say this. Jesus was not telling people to stay in abusive situations. If you're in an in a relationship with someone who's abusing you, you can love them from a distance. Okay? Like you are not somebody's punching bag. That's not what Jesus teaches. So I just want to make that clear because a lot of people don't understand that. Well, they just say, I'm in an abusive situation. God, I turn the other cheek. No, you need to, you need to get distance between you and that person and they need to get help and, uh, and maybe then you reconcile things, but not put yourself in harm's way. Okay, let me give you the second thing, all right? Because there is that sense that, okay, when these things happen to me, my initial response is I want to get even. I want to retaliate. Well, how do we, how do, what do we do? Well, number two is this. When I feel like re- retaliating, remember the why. Remember the why. The, the why here, W-H-Y, the why is has got to be compelling. I've talked to you about this in other areas of our lives. I've talked to you about this when it comes to our health. If you don't have a compelling why, there is, when you get serious about the right nutrition, there's got to be a compelling why at that point where you're going, why, why am I going to eat right when I have this ch- choice to eat this bad thing? The compelling why, the reason that you're going to do this for your health, or the reason you go to the gym when you don't feel like going to the gym, that's the why. And in this case, the why, why don't we retaliate? I mean, after all, they deserve it, right? They hurt me. They deserve me to retaliate. Why not do this? Well, the why has to be stronger than the why not. Like, you have to have a why. There's a story about, a funny story about a lady that um, she didn't feel well. She went to the doctor's office and they ran some blood tests on her. And the doctor came back and said, I got bad news. Uh, you, you've been infected with rabies. And she took out a piece of paper and a pen, started writing something down. And he said, what are you doing? Writing your last will and testament? And she said, no, I'm making a list of all the people I'm going to bite. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of us have a lot of people that we would love to bite that have hurt us in the past. And we've got that list. It may not be written down, but it's in our mind. And our thought is, when the right time comes, I'm getting even. Like, I'm going to get even. And this is what Jesus is saying. You can't do that anymore. That's God's job, not yours. And you've got you've to let that go. Because forgiveness, by the way, forgiveness is not for them. It's for you. You understand that, right? When I forgive someone, it's not for them. It's for me. Because I become a prisoner when I hold unforgiveness of someone that's hurt me. Dr. Tony Evans tells a great story about a couple of monks who were on their way to a village and they had to cross a river. They got to the edge of the river and there was a woman 
who was sitting on the bank crying. And they said, what's wrong? She said, I'd like to get to the other side, but I can't get across the river. And the first monk said, well, what if we were to help you get across? She said, that would be great. And so they linked arms and they carried her across to the other side. They put her down on the other side of the bank and she said, thank you. And then she went on her way and they went on their way and they got about a mile down the road. And the second month began to complain. He said, look at my robe. It's filthy from that woman we had to carry across the river. And my back is killing me. The other one didn't say anything. They just kept going. The second monk continued to complain as they, as they continued their journey. And finally, a few miles later, he just fell on the ground. He said, I can't take another step. My back is killing me. I'm, I, I'm just, this the, the worst decision we ever made, helping that woman across the river. It's just put me in this place where I can't do anything. And he's complaining and groaning. And, and finally, the first monk said, hey, you, you, you wonder why I haven't complained a bit and you've been complaining the whole time? He said, I set that woman down five miles ago, but you're still carrying her. And there's a lot of us that are still carrying people that hurt us decades ago, and we're, we're going to hang on to it, and we wonder why our lives are miserable. We wonder why we never seem to get over that bitterness in our heart because we're hanging on to some things. And what Jesus is saying is you need to let it go, and you need to trust God enough. There's, there's, some, there's some whys here that you need to get a hold of, and they're bigger than the why nots. Let me, let, me, let me share the scripture here, and, and we're going to look at this a little deeper. Um, Luke 6, 35 and 36. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Now, I want, I, want to, um, I want to say something about those verses, okay? There's a why there. You remember when you were a kid, you know, you, your parents would say, you need to be home at 11, and you go, why? Remember what they told you? Because I said so. That's why. Well, that should be enough of a compelling why for us. Jesus said so. But there are two things that Jesus says in, this, in these verses here. And um, and. and can we put those verses back up there? I want to show you what they are, okay? I'll give you kind of a spoiler alert, okay? I'm going to tell you the answers already. So the real whys that Jesus shows us for our good and for his glory. I'm going to show you that in these scriptures. He said, love your enemies, do good to them, um, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Watch this. This is for, for our good. Then your reward in heaven will be very great. For our good... But it's also for his glory. And he says, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. When we live our lives in a countercultural way, when we say, Holy Spirit, live through me, love through me, do what you need to do in these situations where my flesh would say, get even, strike back, cut them off, uh, you know, repay evil with evil. When, when, when that happens, God, I just want to relinquish control to you. And what God says is, if you will respond the right way, if you will get the right why, it will be for your good and for my glory. Your reward in heaven will be great, but also people will look and say, man, you represent your Father in heaven very well. And that's how I want to live my life. 
I want to live my life in a way that honors God more than anything else, even when my flesh screams, get even. Anybody can do that. That's what Jesus, that's the whole point Jesus is saying. Anybody can do, respond the wrong way. Anybody can. That's the easy way. Respond the difficult way. And that's the way that says, I'm going to honor God. Well, I think a message like this, in my mind, most everybody would, would probably nod in agreement, that's what we need to do. <laughs> We'd probably go, yep, Absolutely. But I believe there's action steps. And so what I want to do is I'm going to um, pass it back over. Pastor Ramphus is actually in Pendleton today. So I'm going to pass it over to, uh, back to uh, uh, their, their campus. So can we say goodbye to those guys real quick? See you guys later. But I thought about this and I thought, you know, what are some steps that we could take? I mean, we need to implements it. It's not enough to go, I agree with that. I need to do that. I need to do better at that. What do we do? How do we start? Where, where, where do we go? All right. So here's, here's my thoughts on, on action steps. I thought there were two. All right. The first one is this. You remember when I talked about the lady who got, had the rabies and was making her list? That's a funny story, but you know what? I really believe that most of us do have a list somewhere of some people that we're holding something against or some people that have, you know, if, if given an opportunity, we would get even. It's, there's a list. It may be a short list. It may be a long list, but there's probably a person or two at least that we can all think of that go, when that person crosses our mind, we immediately, it, you know, something goes south in our hearts and we know it. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd, li I'd like you for this week, I'd like you to really think about the list of people you would have bitten had you had rabies. But I want to flip that over. And I want to flip that over and I'll say, all right, that, that list of people, those are the ones that this message really speaks to with us. What can I do personally when, when those people, with that list of those people, what can I do this week? Not someday, this week to really live this out. How do I express love to that person how do I bless that person? Maybe we're just, it starts with the praying for that person, right? Because that's the easiest of all of those, to, you know, just to pray for that person. But in that prayer, Lord, make them happy and prosperous. Lord, I know they did this to me. I don't know you're going to handle that. And it doesn't mean I'm going to be best buds with them again. We're not going to be BFFs because what they. I get that. But I don't want this in my heart. I don't want that unforgiveness. So God, you deal with that, but I'm praying that you bless them and I'm praying somehow that you do something good in their lives. Everything inside of me says they don't deserve it. They don't. I agree and I think God would agree with that. But here's the second part of this challenge. None of us deserve it. When Jesus said, love your enemies, he understood what that meant because here's the deal. The Bible says that all of us were enemies of God. We were enemies of God because of our sin. We were cut off from God because of our sin. We were enemies of God. And yet God loved his enemies. Romans 5 verse 8 says that God demonstrated his love for us, that, that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like we were God's enemies and he loved us. 
And what we need to do is take that same idea and go, okay, that's how I'm going to love people, that same agape love in their lives. So your homework assignment, find the people that would be on your list otherwise and, and flip that over. But I also want to speak to those who don't know Jesus. If never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. First of all, none of what I'm talking about is even possible without the Holy Spirit living in you. It is not impossible. It is impossible. You can't do it. But the other thing to need to remember is that Jesus died for you. He demonstrated his love for you, who, again, our sin has made us his enemy, but he demonstrated how much he loved us by dying and making it, making it available to us to have a relationship with our God. And it's only through Jesus' sacrifice. So if you're here today, you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, I wanna give you that opportunity as well. So let's pray together. Um, and this is the kind of message, we'll have a couple of pastors uh, available after the service. If, if, if you need to come up after and just talk to somebody, maybe you're, you know, you've got some situation that you just need a little, <laughs> a little help in those prayers, um, we'll have somebody available. So let's pray together. God, thank you that you understand how difficult this is. Um, and you know these kind of messages, it sounds so simple. Oh, just love your enemies. But we know that that's not, it's not easy. And yet you did it. Because we were separated from you from our sin, but you bridged the gap with your sacrifice for us. And God, I know there are many people here that have got wounds and scars. I've been dinged by a lot of people over the years and and those people probably are not worthy of our forgiveness. And yet we know our forgiveness is not for them. It's for us. So I'm praying that today some people will, will just let it go and trust you with the results. And in the meantime, somehow through the Holy Spirit's power, be able to pray for those people, to love those people, to bless those people who curse them, to do good to those so God, I just pray that you would heal hearts in this room today and those people who watch online. That you would just remind us of your love for us. And I'm praying for those people who don't know Jesus personally, but today that something just triggered and something said, I need to place my faith in Jesus. I need to have my sins forgiven and I'm willing to commit my life to Jesus. And if that's you, maybe just offer a prayer of commitment. The prayer is not gonna save you, but your heart commitment of your heart is what does it. Just offer a prayer, maybe like this, Jesus, I am giving you control of my life. I, I want you to forgive my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me. I admit that I was your enemy because of my sin, but I also believe that you made it possible for me to be called your friend. And so I place my faith in you as my Lord and Savior today. God, go with us this week as we remember those names to give us some ideas of how we might, how we might live out our faith in these really, really, really difficult passages of Scripture. Thank you, God, for your patience with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.